You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Uh, Matthew chapter 27 verse 62 says, The next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first week, uh, first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he has gone before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up. And took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Yeah, there's no, no event more critical to the Christian faith than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 says, if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. Because if Jesus did rise from the dead, it means that Jesus is indeed who he says he is, that he's the son of God, that he's the way, the truth, and the life, the righteous saviour who came to die for the unrighteous sinner. But his death was not the end, was not defeat, but in fact victory because the saviour would not remain dead but be raised to life. That in his resurrection he has defeated sin, he has conquered sin, he has shown the world that he has power over sin and that in him we have power over sin. Only God could reverse the dreadfulness of sin and death. Only he can remove its sting and gain victory over the grave. The resurrection of Jesus is the glorious and triumphant victory for every Christian. Jesus gave his life on behalf, on our behalf, yet was raised from death to life, that by his power and grace we too are raised from death to life. There is no event more critical to our Christian faith than the resurrection of Jesus. So let's stand, sing and rejoice for this is good news that we can hear no better words from that tomb than the words, he is not here for he has risen. Happy Easter. Christ has risen. Isn't that wonderful news? It's just uh, such a beautiful thing. I was going for a walk this morning uh, and the sun was just kind of coming up and, and I couldn't help but just kind of laugh because it's just so wonderful that Jesus conquered death, that death is not the end, that someone has come back from the dead and that is Jesus and he gives us life and the possibility of it. And uh, it's just been such a wonderful weekend to celebrate all of that on Friday to, to remember his death 
which is solemn but simple and powerful and to really do that. And then yesterday, the baptisms were such a joy, just so wonderful. And uh, knowing the stories of most of the people that got baptised, just really interesting, different stories. You know, someone coming to faith, sort of brand new to faith, and then other people who'd been Christians for a while but really have gone through a season of real growth and wanted to declare that. And then a couple of kids who got baptised. Uh, Abby's here. It's wonderful to have you here, Abby. It was such a, a joy to see you get baptised. Uh, it was really cool. One of the kids, uh, Lucy, she got, um, she was uh, trying to w- work through whether she was ready to get baptised and she said to her mum, oh, look, our city kids is pretty advanced, so I think I know what I'm doing. So, um, and as you saw today, our city kids really is advanced. Wonderful job, Michelle. Uh, what, a, what a wonderful job that she does. Why don't we give her a hand? And, and all of our city kids volunteers, um, really terrific. And, and do you know, this weekend, I think Mark's our eighth birthday. Uh, we actually started at this church 2014, uh, just the week after Easter, but it was around this time of year. And uh, so just a real joy. And, and I think baptisms really symbolise what we want to be as a church. We want to see people come to faith and grow deeper in their faith. And so it's kind of the perfect way to celebrate. Well, we're going to get into God's Word. So how about I pray and then we'll, we'll do that. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for Easter. We thank you for this moment in the year that makes sense of everything. We thank you that Jesus has risen. And we ask that we might find the new life that he promises. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this Easter, like last Easter, we've been kind of trying to focus in on a couple of the characters in the Easter story to, to understand what they experienced so that we can better understand what's happening with Easter. And uh, last year we looked at Peter, his denial on Good Friday, and then the way that God, uh, Jesus, restored him to, to his uh, ministry in, on Easter Sunday. And then today and this weekend we've been looking at the soldiers On Friday, we saw those soldiers who scourged Jesus and and persecuted him before he went to the cross. But then we saw the centurions uh, understand and come to understand that this was the Son of God, this moment of faith. And today we continue to look at the soldiers as they become part of the resurrection. And yet the strange thing is that they become part of the resurrection because they're actually called in to try and prevent it. Uh, They get involved because they're recruited by the Jewish religious authorities, the chief priests and the Pharisees. Now, these guys, as you probably know, are the bad guys of the Jesus story. They've been opposed to Jesus the whole way through. They've tried every way to, to resist him. They don't like the, what he teaches. They, they hate the fact that he's exposed their hypocrisy and they're offended by the way uh, he is uh, trying to undermine their authority, it feels like. And they reject the idea that Jesus could be the Messiah, this figure that God's people were looking for for hundreds of years, they hate the thought that Jesus could be that Messiah and so they want to get rid of him. And on Friday, it looked like they'd done it. They had managed to get him killed and yet today we see that even then they cannot rest, Matthew 17, uh, because they realised that Jesus had told his disciples that he would die but also that he would rise again, that he wouldn't stay dead, but he would rise from the dead. Matthew 17, as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to his disciples, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. Now, of course, this idea sounds preposterous. I mean, surely no one can rise from the dead, but they're worried that these disciples will try and make it look like that had happened, that they'll go in and steal the body and then say to everyone that Jesus has risen. And so for this reason, the authorities approach Pilate 
the Roman governor, and say to him, verse 63, Sir, we remember how that imposter Jesus said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he is risen from the dead. And so they make sure that the tomb is extra secure. There's already this great big stone in front of it, and now they set a guard. As J.C. Ryle puts it, the restless enmity of these unhappy men could not sleep even when the body of Jesus was in the grave. But you wonder, like, did they really think that the disciples would do this? What made them feel, fear the disciples? See, where are the disciples right now? Well, John 20 tells us that they've locked themselves away for fear of the Jews. They're terrified that just as they went after Jesus, they'll go after his followers. And we saw how brave they were when Jesus was arrested. You might remember that Jesus betrayed him, so he already turned on someone. And then when the soldiers came, they'd all fled. Even Peter, the bravest of them all, had drawn a sword, but then he had run away too. He had denied Jesus three times. In fact, from what we can understand, it was probably only John who was there at the cross when Jesus uh, passed away. So do the authorities really worry that the disciples will suddenly emerge and come and steal the body of Jesus? And besides, even if they do do that, what are they going to do when they get this body? Like it's still going to be dead, right? Are they just going to kind of store it somewhere or, or take it around with them like weekend of Bernie's or something like that? Like this doesn't make sense. Now it's hard to believe that the authorities really are worried about the disciples. I think they're actually more afraid of Jesus and what Jesus might do. You see, the idea of Jesus' resurrection is far more plausible and worrisome to them than they might acknowledge. You see, these guys knew the prophecies about the Messiah. They knew that the Messiah would suffer. They probably understood that he had to die and they may even have realised that the prophecies pointed to the Messiah rising again. Certainly they'd seen Jesus' power in his miracles. They'd tried to write them off. They tried to say that he could exercise demons because he had the power of the demons himself. But what if it wasn't that? What if Jesus truly did have the power of God within him, just like he claims? And so I think these guys are afraid that Jesus really is who he said he was. So they are haunted by Jesus, whether Jesus is alive or dead. They've tried to get rid of him, but even now they sense they have to do more. Now, there's something ridiculous about this when you think about it. As Douglas Sean O'Donnell puts it, if they're so worried about Jesus, isn't it ironic that they think a few guards will hold him back? If Jesus can rise from the dead, he can certainly move a stone, overpower guards. He can do just about whatever he wants to do. And I actually reckon Pilate understands this. So there's this really interesting moment. As they approach Pilate, Pilate gives them the soldiers, but then he says, Go, make it as secure as you can. Matthew Henry suggests there's a kind of fatalism in what he's saying here. It's almost like he realises that we can try to make this secure, but if Jesus is truly is who he says he was, then there's nothing we can do. You see, Pilate had come to see how powerful and how impressive 
Jesus was. He'd seen him at the trial, con- conducting himself with such dignity and courage that we're told the pilot was greatly amazed. And then his wife had had a dream. In fact, she'd urged her husband, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much today because of him in a dream. And so Pilate had tried to wash his hands of Jesus. But then when he saw that the crowds were about to riot, he gave him up to die. And yet perhaps by now, Pilate has even heard the report of the centurion that we looked at on Friday. Truly, this man was the son of God. And he begins to wonder the same. So he gives them the soldiers but he does it almost with a sense of pessimism. Make it as secure as you can because we can't stop this Jesus if he is the one we think he might be. Still, the soldiers must have thought this whole thing was ridiculous. In fact, there was a Babylon Bee article about this just last night. Roman soldier assigned to guard tomb of some Jewish carpenter looking forward to uneventful weekend. You can imagine the soldiers kind of heading down there, trooping down there to the tomb, cracking jokes about guarding dead men or kind of unsure if they should be insulted or amused that there's this idea that the disciples might take them on and then frustrated ultimately because they're going to have another cold night out in the open. Well, it's about to heat up. Matthew 28 verse 1, After the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. He has risen. A man who died has come out of the grave and lives again. We saw on Friday that at the moment that Jesus died, the earth shook and the rocks were split. And the same way is described here for the shaking of the soldiers. That just as the ground had quaked, so now their hearts quake. They tremble. And it's very telling. You see, these soldiers are emblematic. They represent the powers of this world these hardened, tough soldiers who come from the the greatest and strongest army that the world had known to that point, and yet here they are nothing before a captain in God's heavenly army. It shows the futile attempts of anyone who would try to sabotage the resurrection. The soldiers are stunned and they run straight to the Jewish authorities. Uh, They go to these guys probably because they need an alibi, It was a rule that if a Roman soldier allowed a prisoner to escape, then they would be executed. And so these guys need the Jewish authorities to give them a way out, and the authorities oblige. Uh, Verse 12 we read, And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. Now, this little moment is an extraordinary thing. I want you to notice a couple of things that are happening here. First of all, there is no doubt, no questioning 
of what has actually happened. So the Jewish soldiers, they run up to these Jewish, uh, sorry, the Roman soldiers go to these Jewish leaders and they tell their story that the tomb is now empty, that there was an angel, that Jesus is no longer there. And it's clearly believed. It's clear to everyone that this has actually happened. There's no questioning of that. And yet despite that, the Jews still decide that this must be covered up. They come up with this story, they they gather, they take counsel together and they decide that this must not happen and people mustn't hear about this. I, I find this just remarkable. In the face of this miracle, they refuse to, to believe it and come up with this other story. And it's worth asking if this story is believable. And when you really look at it, you see how implausible it is. I mean, there's problems with the story right at the start. Do you notice what they say? Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Um, so the soldiers were asleep, but they know what happened. How does that work? Did they, did they see this in their dreams or something? How does this work? And how on earth would they stay asleep? As I said before, like they would forfeit their own life if they were guarding someone and then that person got away. I was just talking to someone after the first service who uh, trained as, as, a, as an officer and he said, you do not fall asleep on duty, even today, because you'll lose the respect of, of everyone that you're working with. They just would never have allowed themselves to sleep like this. And besides all that, there was a fair bit happening. Like there's an earthquake and there's an angel of lightning. Like I've heard of heavy sleepers, but this is, this is ridiculous. But more than that, the way that they think about the disciples just doesn't make sense. See, as we saw before, the disciples are terrified. They're avoiding, they're, they're hiding, they're terrified that they could be taken away because the resurrection just wasn't part of their thinking. Do you know, Jesus had told them multiple times that this was going to happen. He even said to them, look, once I rise, I'm going to meet you in this place. He kind of set up a meeting spot for them. He dropped a pin on their map. And they still didn't believe that it was going to happen. See, the reality is the disciples weren't even thinking of the resurrection. Uh, Most religions around this time had this real big divide between the physical and the spiritual. The idea was that the physical was kind of less important, less special than the spiritual, and the goal was to kind of graduate to the spiritual, to the non-physical. Uh, even some Jews sort of, as we know, that the Sadducees in the, in the Gospels, they didn't believe in a physical resurrection. And so this just wasn't part of these guys' thinking, really. I mean, why would you kind of graduate to the spiritual and then come back? They wouldn't have been interested in that. But even more importantly, why would they make up a lie and then hold on to that lie even when it started to cost them? You see, as we read on in the New Testament, we see that Christianity uh, was resisted and the message of the resurrection was ridiculed and people actually started to die for the faith very quickly. So if you're one of the disciples, why would you do that if this was all made up? Why would you die for a lie? As one writer puts it, men might die because they're brainwashed or they're fooled, but men usually don't die for something that they are certain is a lie. If the disciples knew where the body of Jesus was, what could possibly be the motive 
for preaching the resurrection. Could it be money? No, there wasn't any money in this. How about reputation? No, again, the message of Jesus costs people their reputation, their religion and their culture. Some of them even lost their lives. In fact, probably the best insight on this is provided by another conspirator, someone who did try to spin a lie and hold on to it, but found that it couldn't be kept. Uh, Chuck Colson was one of the masterminds of the Watergate conspiracy, uh, which saw the overthrow of President Nixon in the 70s. Colson himself ended up in prison, but converted to Christianity during the scandal and would later say this of the conspiracy theories around the resurrection. He says, I know the resurrection is a fact and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it wasn't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me the 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? No, of course not. You see, there's this great irony that all of the attempts to silence the resurrection, to disprove it, actually point to its truth. So there's this theory, for instance, that the women went to the wrong tomb. But we know that doesn't make sense because they've stuck a whole bunch of guards around the tomb. And so ironically, everything that the authorities did to try and disprove the resurrection points to its truth. This wasn't a lie. This was reality. And so now we're left with how we respond to this. You see, every Easter we are invited to respond to the resurrection, to grapple with the supernatural, the miraculous life from death. Will we reject it? Will we write it off? Will we deny it? Will we take up some preposterous conspiracy theory? Or will we believe it? Will we accept the testimony of those who were there and who have let it reshape their lives? See, the Jewish authorities uh, rejected it. They knew that it happened, but they tried to cover it up. They refused to accept it. Now, of course, they had promised that they wouldn't be like this on the cross. They said, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. Well, Jesus has done even better than that. He's died and risen again, but they still don't believe. And then the soldiers, they accepted the lie and then started to spread it. Of course, they did it because they thought that they had to, they needed this alibi. But let's be clear, there was money in this for them as well. That phrase, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers, a a sufficient sum of money for them to compromise their integrity. And so they took on telling the lie, a lie that is still told even today. How could they do this? How could the authorities be so resistant? I think it's because the resurrection of Jesus confronts us with the true reality and power and authority of Jesus. You see, the idea of Jesus being raised from the dead is resisted even now in our culture. It's sneered at, as if that could happen. If you go on the ABC website today, I'm sure there'll be some article that sort of argues that this, we've got some new proof 
that this didn't happen. There's so many attempts to do this. But, but why do people care so much? You know, we're told, aren't we, that just believe what you want. As long as it makes you happy, that's fine. So why do people fight this? Why is it so problematic for people that we would believe this? I think it's because, just like the people in this story, people understand what the resurrection means, that the resurrection is the game changer. The resurrection is the thing that changes everything. It proves that Jesus is real. It proves that he is who he said he was, that he is the son of God, the king of kings and lord of lords. And even more than that, he's not just the lord of lords, he's the lord of us, of each one of us. And he is the authority to rule our lives. And we resist that. We want to rule our own lives. And so we, people will resist the story of the resurrection in spite of all logic, in spite of the facts, in spite of the testimony of those who were there, in spite of the witness in the lives of people ever since. Don't be the same. Don't be the same this Easter. See, there is a lie that's out there, but there's also the truth. And this is the truth worth believing, worth embracing. See, the resurrection is one of my favourite things I love Resurrection Sunday because the resurrection means that everything is true and everything is new. First of all, it's the proof that everything is true, that everything that Jesus claimed to be, he actually was. Think about it. No one could do what he just did. No one could rise from the dead unless they had life within themselves. And Jesus has that. Jesus is the creator. He has life within himself. And so he was able to rise from the dead. And the resurrection also proves that the mission he was given has been completed. He'd come to pay for our sin. The wages of sin is death. Jesus died and his resurrection proves that it was enough, that the payment has been accepted. You see, if Jesus had stayed then, then we could have no assurance that God had been satisfied. But in rising, God makes it clear that the payment was enough and that there's no more left to do. Romans 4.25, he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Jesus died for our sins and because of that, we can be justified. We can be counted as righteous by God. We can be accepted by him because of his resurrection. So the resurrection is proof that everything is true and then it's proof that everything is new, that the second age of the world has begun. See, God began the world through Jesus. Colossians 1, by him all things were created. All things were created through him and for him. This beautiful creation that was marred by human sin, by our rebellion that brought corruption into this world and poisoned this good world that was here, that's why things die. That's why things fall apart. But in Christ's resurrection, we have the start of something new. We see life triumph over death, good conquer evil. From the darkness of Good Friday, a new dawn begins with the rising of the sun. 
the Son of God. He is the beginning of God's new work, the promise of life beyond the grave and a life that begins now. 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You see, Jesus' death deals with the penalty of sin, but his resurrection deals with the power of it. You know those things that you struggle with that you wish weren't there? You want, want to see changed? The resurrection is the promise that it can be changed, that you can experience the power of new life, of life coming to a dead heart, of life coming to the dead places in your life, the things that you wish could be different, the things you want to be new. The resurrection gives us the promise that it's there. It won't be complete yet. It won't be perfect yet until we see him face to face. But you can begin to experience the power of the resurrection in your life today in the here and now. So, yes, the resurrection of Jesus proves that he is Lord of all, including us, but it's a good lordship, a rule that brings life. So come and claim it today. If you haven't had it before, come and believe. Come and receive the gift that he has for us. Now, that there's two stories that go out from Easter. One, a lie, and one, a truth. Two great commissions, you might say. The first is the commission given to the soldiers to say this lie, to make up this story, that the disciples stole his body, that the dead cannot rise. What a shameful legacy to know the truth and deny it. For those soldiers who experienced and witnessed the miraculous and covered it up. Edwin Markham is a poet and he writes his poem imagining himself as one of these soldiers and he says, Years have I wandered, carrying my shame. Now let the tooth of time eat out my name. For we who all the wonder might have told kept silenced before, before our mouths were stopped with gold. Just for a few coins, they denied the truth. They told a lie. But there's another commission that goes out too. The truth, the truth that Jesus did rise, the truth that there is hope, that the grave didn't win, that new life is possible, that a new creation has begun. That went out too. In fact, later on in Matthew 28, just before he rises to heaven, Jesus says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's the commission that has been passed on for 2,000 years of people who witnessed the resurrection, passing that on to other people who told their story and then invited them to follow Jesus, to discover new life. Now that great commission has passed to us. And so God invites you to receive the truth, to receive the promise of life with Jesus and then to tell other people about it. So which will you choose? The lie or the truth. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for Easter. We thank you for the reality of your death, Jesus. 
And we thank you for what it achieved, that you died for our sins to take the penalty that we deserved, that you fulfilled all justice, that we can be forgiven and your justice is upheld. And we thank you that on this day we celebrate your resurrection, that death did not hold you down, that the grave could not hold you, that you were greater than all of those things. Thank you for new life. May we receive it today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.